We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How we doing? Welcome to the show. Ivy Nation Sports Talk up and running. Once again, along with Jesse Styers, Sean Styers, glad to have you with us here today. How are you tonight, Jess? I'm good. Glad to be done with work. That's uh, that's the main thing. And now we get into the to the fun work. So um, I'm ex- I'm excited. Yeah, and you know, I thought that we would just kind of uh, bring out a topic tonight that would basically just be like waving a baby in front of a pit bull. Let's just you know we're we're going to talk about the offense. Have we seen? The best of the offense, have we seen the worst of the offense this season? What exactly have we seen so far? We're going to get into that. We've got a lot of that. Of course, we've got rapid fire coming up later. You ready to light this candlestick and just take off with this, or what do you want to do? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm ready to go. I hope the people are ready because we're going to hit the ground running pretty quick here. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm definitely ready. I'm, I, I'm, I'm hoping that everyone else is kind of ready for, for how we've uh, decided to approach this. We are not Marshall says the stock market is like the Reese offense. Sell, sell, sell. Who he? Yeah. So, well, we're going to get into it. And, and uh, Salty's telling you to take it down a notch already. Too much enthusiasm <laughs> over there. Hit that like button if you would. Rate, review, subscribe, all that great stuff. We've got, you know, I don't want to get like two numbers heavy, but we do have numbers we're going to get into. And let's just start with some of the national rankings with the offense right now. We've seen it. We know what it looks like, but they're ranked 77th in total offense, 47th in rushing offense, 101st in passing offense, 62nd in pass efficiency offense, which is basically is close to the middle of the a little bit upper half of the country right now, 62nd. You got 131 teams. Um 84th in red zone offense and 81st in scoring. So Rushing offense and what was it? Pass efficiency offense. They rank in the top half of the nation and that everything else in the bottom half. So those those are just some of your numbers to get you started on this Notre Dame offense. It is um it's not good right now. It's inconsistent at best. What like if I were telling you, like if we were doing a rapid fire question, Jesse, and I told you, come up with the word that best describes Notre Dame's offense right now, what would the word be for you? Inconsistent. And that's not, that's like, I'm not trying to be funny or like bias or not, not biased, but like, you know, copycat or any of that stuff. It's just, 
inconsistent. You know, some weeks they they pass and run bad. Some weeks they pass bad, run well. And, and then the, the weeks that they did the best, they pass and ran the ball um, effectively. So that's kind of the the thing that I looked at the, the most here is, you know, what combination worked? What what were they doing in unison together? And that's uh, I think we'll get some some pretty jarring results. It'll be pretty obvious, you know, why they did bad in certain games and, and really excelled in other games uh, the, the way we have this formatted this week. We are not. Marshall says they're ranked number one in potential. And then we we'll get some other suggestions. Um, Nigel says awful. They have been. Allen says sick. You, you would agree with that? Ranked number one in potential? Like you like the potential of this offense still? I love the potential of the offense. It's okay. just they got to be like – I'll say it until I go blue in the face. If they can find the combination in which they can run and pass the ball effectively off one another, I don't think that teams can beat them. Because if you can run the ball well and you can run play action off of it, um, I think that they can do a lot of simple but effective things in this offense. And that's that's really what it boils down to is they have to be able to do both phases in unison. You have to be able to run and you have to be able to pass. You can't just do one good and the other mediocre. I never dreamed I would talk this much about coffee, especially since I'm not really a coffee drinker. But ever since we first tried trade coffee, my coffee-loving wife is not only hooked, but I've even started to drink coffee. And I've got my mom hooked on it as well. Let me tell you about trade coffee. It's a coffee subscription service unlike anything you've tried before because they partner with top independent roasters to freshly roast and send the best coffees in the country direct to your home on your preferred schedule. Their team of experts do all the work, taste testing hundreds of coffees from across the U.S. every month to curate over 450 exceptional coffees that make the cut. I've told you about our collection, the rich, sweet flavor of the Big City Roast from Joe Coffee, the full flavor of the Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters, where you can actually taste the malted milk balls. We love it. And if what I got isn't up your alley, don't worry. Trade will have whatever it is that you want. You can shop their most popular coffees by roast or flavor profile, or you can take the coffee quiz like we did and get expertly matched with the coffees that you'll love. Trade is the easiest way to get your very best tasting coffee delivered fresh when you need it. You've got nothing to lose because Trade guarantees you will love your first bag. If not, they'll work with you to replace it for free. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, it's time to try Trade Coffee. Right now, Trade is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping at drinktrade.com slash Irish. That's drinktrade.com slash Irish for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the world. Give it a shot. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To me, I break the season down into three different tiers right now. Ohio State and Marshall is the first tier when Tyler Buckner was still the starting quarterback because completely different offense than what they've been doing since then. You know, they only ran for 76 yards against Ohio State, threw for 177. They they played a grinded out kind of game, you know, trying to stay in the game. They, you know, they did stay in the game, but obviously didn't win. Marshall. Again, Tyler Buckner's last start, ran the ball a little bit better for 130 yards, threw for 221, 351 total yards of offense, you know, again, against Marshall, against that team. And then the next, the middle tier, I break Drew Pine into two different tiers. The Cal North Carolina BYU tier, when we saw good Drew Pine, borderline, you know, it. we obviously saw some, some bad Drew Pine as well, but we saw... Like when you look at the at the balance of the numbers, seventy he, he completed seventy two percent of his passes in that stretch. They had good balance against Cal. They ran for one hundred and forty seven, threw for one hundred and fifty. You know, nearly three hundred yards of offense. It gets better the next week against North Carolina when they run for two eighty seven, throw for two eighty nine. I mean, you talk about balance, five hundred and seventy six yards of offense. BYU, pretty good defense that they just ran all over for the most part, 45 carries, 234. Well, I wouldn't say ran all over, but they ended up with 234 yards. They threw for 262, nearly 500 yards of total offense. But that was good, Drew Pine, when Drew Pine was completing better than 72% of his passes. But then we've had bad Drew Pine the last couple of games, looking more like the first half. Not, I guess I shouldn't say looking like the first half against Cal because he was throwing the ball all over the place there. That was the extreme. But under 50% of his passes the last couple of games against Stanford when they ran for 150, threw for 151. <laughs> Actually, some balance there as well. And then UNLV, the rushing numbers at least tick up to 223 yards. Again, they threw for 205. But again, Drew Pine was uh, very inconsistent with his passing in that game. So you look at those games, Jess, seven different games that I gave you right there. And, you know, you think about where Drew Pine is right now, the current state of the offensive line, all the other factors. Is there one of those games you look at and think it won't get any worse than that this season? Um, So for me, I'm, I, I largely think that Notre Dame's first two games of the year were their worst two games. Um, I know Stanford looks bad, but if you look at the numbers against Cal and the, or, if you look at the numbers in the Cal and Stanford game, they're very, very eerily similar. Uh, almost, you know, in a game where they, you know, won by one possession and lost by one possession. Yeah. Uh, so, so for me, I think the game in which they played the worst under Drew Pine has to be Stanford. If we're talking overall um, as a team, I would say that the the worst game would come against Ohio State. But obviously, that's you know, first game of the season, a, a ranked opponent, so that one. You kind of don't look at as much, but for me, Stanford and Marshall are the worst two games, and and Cal is kind of closely uh, behind. And I think they got away with some things against UNLV just because UN, UNLV is is a poor team. UNLV, I think, yeah. I think if you if they played UNLV or you know if they if they had the same performance that they did against UNLV 
um, against Stanford or Cal or really anyone on their schedule, I think that they lose lose that game potentially. Uh, I think they just Drew Pine got away with playing a bad opponent because he really didn't have um, that great of numbers compared to to the rest of the team that day. Yeah, I still the Stanford game is still the 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 big stinker to me because you know again like can you go back to Marshall and say that probably. But again, you had a different quarterback than what you've got now. You're with your number two quarterback. Things are looking pretty good for two and a half games. Again, throughout the first half against Cal, but North Carolina and BYU, they're on the upswing again. And then all of a sudden, you've got Stanford. Where did that come from? Horrible defense. They can't do anything against a horrible defense. They only scored 14 points against that defense. And... Jared agrees. He says, I think we've already seen them at their worst. 14 points against Stanford doesn't get much worse than that. Good news is you can only get better. And I do agree with that. So my vote goes into Stanford. I see what you're saying about, you know, Marshall, you know, and even, even, you know, again, they did what they did against UNLV because it was a vastly inferior opponent. It like at least Stanford had power five bodies out there on the field that you were going against. And we've, you know, we've talked about play calling and game plan and all that different stuff, but what about the best? When you step back and look at those first seven games again, is there one of them, you know, like the peak performance you think we'll see from the offense, or is there another level for this offense to go to still? Like you were talking about, you know, the, just a second ago. Uh, For me, I, I would say that the, the ideal, uh, th- their best games were were the stretch against North Carolina, North Carolina, um, and BYU, and it's it's crazy because you look at the numbers and they were almost kind of replicas of each other, right? They, the the numbers are very very similar in that game. Pine threw for two eighty nine on the dot against both teams. Uh, they ran again for two eighty seven against North Carolina and ran for two thirty four against BYU. So uh, those games are almost mere. Um, mere games for me if you look at their overall average they average 6.8 yards per play against North Carolina and BYU uh so to me that that looks like a synchronized offense right uh they had 24 first downs against BYU 35 against North Carolina um and their third down efficiency was very good in both of those games so for me North Carolina that stretch of North Carolina and BYU is by far the best football that they played this season and it's it's really hard and it really sucks because how do you go from North Carolina and BYU where you're, you're getting some stripes, you know, getting a couple W's and then you go to a nice primetime game at home and you lose to Stanford after being on the road technically for two of your, you know, your biggest games of the season so far. So that's what made the Stanford game hurt even worse is it looked like there was a ton of momentum, you know, Pine looked like he knew what he was doing and then they just kind of took a crap um, against Stanford. So that's, it, it's really hard to see the drop off. Uh, between the between the BYU and the Stanford game because the numbers just don't look pretty and again it, we'll, we'll get into it a little bit more here in a second but to me it's just fundamentals of you know why weren't they doing more of this and kind of less of that type stuff yeah you've got a you've got Jesse's got his typical spreadsheet o numbers to to throw up at <laughs> us here in a, in a minute so we'll be getting to some of that but um I think it's the North Carolina game. Like I see what you're saying, piggybacking North Carolina and BYU together. To me, it's – and maybe you can kind of call them all those carbon copies considering the game plan was still pretty similar. Um, 
you know, but at the time when they beat North Carolina, what were we doing? We're going, well, don't get so excited. That North Carolina defense is horrible. Well, Stanford's <laughs> defense was horrible, and they scored 14 points against it. And since they gave up 44 points to Notre Dame, North Carolina's allowed 10 points to Virginia Tech, 24 points to Miami, 35 points to Duke. They haven't given up as many as Notre Dame scored in that game, and they've won all three of those games. They're 3-0 and in the Atlantic Division. You know, the next best teams are Duke and Georgia Tech. They're two and two. And, I, you know, we can talk about the ACC and how good or how bad it is. But, you know, North Carolina might lose a couple of games, but I would think that they're probably the favorite to win the Atlantic Division and probably end up playing Clemson in the ACC championship game right now. So, you know, sneeze about the offense and all that stuff or, you know, their defense and stuff all you want. But again, Notre Dame scored 45 points against them. And the last three teams, have totaled 69, only 24 more points combined by three teams than Notre Dame scored in one game. So that to me is the most impressive, and I think that that is the peak. When you look at some of the things that they were able to do, they're thrown to the running backs. You got a deep post to Lorenzo Styles for a touchdown that we still didn't get to see on TV. <laughs> you know, you got Michael Mayer's involvement. You had different levels of involvement in that game, and oh, by the way, you also ran for 200 and uh, 87 yards. So that, to me, is their peak performance, their best game offensively. I think that that is, is the standard for them this season. And, you know, like based on who they're playing this year, I, I don't see it getting a whole lot better than that. Yeah, it's just uh, – it, it's And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that that's, you know, that that's the standard. Yeah, North Carolina has definitely – that's – you know, you want the formula to, to to success or formula to wins if you're Notre Dame. Just go look at what you did against North Carolina. I think if you could carbon copy that for all your remaining games, at least you're putting yourself um, in the best situation or best scenario uh, to win. And that's, that's why I say this team is so inconsistent and why I think that they have so much potential. Because if they can play like they played against North Carolina, they're going to – Syracuse is going to have a hard time beating them. Clemson's going to have a hard time beating them. And USC is going to have a hard time beating them. So it's just a matter of what we're going to get offensively on that day. Um, and, and again, I think that if we look at these North Carolina and BYU numbers, if they replicate kind of the game plan uh, for what they did in these games, I, I truly believe that they can uh, have have the success going forward and really finish off the season how they, you know, how they want to. Do you want to put your numbers up here on the screen? Should we throw yeah, it up Yeah, I'm, I'm itching to do it. All right, let's do it. So Jesse's got his numbers. <laughs> there you go, diorama, whatever it is. I don't know what you call it. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> what what I did here, and this is kind of uh, the trends that I was looking at when, when looking at per game. Obviously, red is bad, and that's, you know, the passing attack. Here's the rushing attack, um, and green's going to be good. So if you could see green, you know, double green, that that's that's a good offensive output, and that's what North Carolina and BYU were. And for me, the the formula for success, or the thing that I looked at the most between uh, Notre Dame, BYU, and Stanford is if you look at these attempts, right? They attempted 51 run plays and 45 run plays against BYU um, and North Carolina, respectively, and then they drop off to just 34 attempts against Stanford. Right. They bring that number back up to 47 against UNLV, um, and they have success. So, you know, I think going forward that their minimum should be 40 attempts uh, for running the ball per game. I, I think that that has to be the standard. 
uh, going forward. And, and you could see kind of, you know, what the, the success that they have when they run the ball um, efficiently, 5.6 uh, per game, 5.2 per game against UNLV, 4.7. Yeah, the average against Stanford is good. They just didn't run it enough considering how bad well, um, that, that defensive line really was. I think that that has to be, you know, taking more advantage uh, of the situation in, in some respects. And the Stanford run numbers got skewed a little bit by the longer run, you know, like the long run by Audric Estime, uh, Logan Diggs longer run, and I think Chris Tyree had a little bit longer one as well. I, I think I remember if you took those three out, you're 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 closer to around three yards per carry. You know, the three longest runs that they had that really weren't indicative of how most of the night was going for them on the ground. To me, and I get what you're saying, but what also sets that up where this team has excelled offensively and where Drew Pine has been able to get into a groove and you know make those little layups, you know, get into a rhythm. It's when they were throwing more to the running backs because I go back again to that North Carolina game yeah, Andrick Estime ran for 135 yards, but look at Logan Diggs. 50 yards rushing on 10 carries, 65 receiving yards on three carries. Chris Tyree, 15 carries, 80 rushing yards. Four receptions for 24 yards. So Tyree and Diggs combined for seven receptions for 89 yards against North Carolina. Here's like if I break it down, again, if I do the last two games, Stanford and UNLV, and then I break it down with the three games where they had their most offensive success, Cal, North Carolina, BYU. So here's Drew Pine in his last two games, 27 for 55, 356 yards, completing 49% of his passes. Okay, The five running backs, total targets, oh no, the running backs have five total targets, I read my note wrong. Running backs have five total targets in those two games. Two catches for 15 yards combined against Stanford and UNLV. The wide receivers, 14 catches for an average of seven catches per game and about 66 yards per game by the wide receivers. Okay, so that's the last two games where the offense has sputtered. You go the three previous games, Cal, North Carolina, BYU. Pine is completing 74% in those games, passing for 233 yards per game. The running backs in that three-game stretch, 17 total receptions for 188 yards. Mayer, 20 catches for 216 yards. He had just two for 10 against Cal, but that's combined in those three games. And the receivers' average went up to eight receptions for 95 yards on average. So when the running backs are involved, one, of course, Drew Pine, because the passes are shorter, Drew Pine's completion percentage comes up. You're moving the sticks more. He's in a better rhythm. And everybody else is getting involved as well because there are different levels that have to be defended in the passing game. And so I agree with you when you say that running the ball, you know, they've got to get back to that. But they also need to get back to throwing the ball to the running backs because, again, when you look at that three-game stretch, they were doing so much of that, and they've done literally – They've had five total targets to the running backs in the passing game the last two games. Yeah, and just to piggyback off what you're saying, you can see these you know, completion percentages of 74%, 71%, 79%, and that's largely because of what you're talking about. He's getting these completions out to the running backs, and they're just high-efficiency passes, right? Uh, but then when you come over here to Stanford, 48 completion percentage, 50 completion 
50% completion percentage against UNLV. Uh, and, and when you're not targeting the running backs or getting, you know, these easy passes, it, it's a direct correlation to, to these bad passing performances, right? Like these are very bad passing performances. <laughs> yeah, they are. After after a stretch, debate there <laughs> after a stretch of just really good ones, right? 74%, 71%, 79%. Your offense, your rushing and passing attack are almost similar in, in, in these games, uh, in which you're getting wins. So I just I, I I just don't understand the the disconnect between kind of like I said earlier, between the UNC North Carolina, BYU, and Stanford stretch what the fall off was and why they stopped going away from the things that worked best for them for them. And that's, you know, two running back sets, getting passing the ball out to your wide receivers, screen plays to your running backs, short routes to your running backs, uh, stuff like that. It just really felt like, you know, against Stanford, they worked against themselves uh, in a lot of situations. I and, agree. And, and another big thing to look at too you know, against North Carolina, they were 8 of 14 on third down. Against BYU, they're 11 of 16 on third down. Uh, and then you go over to Stanford and you're, and you're 3 of 12. What that tells me is against North Carolina and BYU is they got favorable third down matchups uh, for their offense. And what I mean by that is like third and four, third and three, you know, third and five. But against Stanford, they got off schedule and got in long third down situations. And that's not what this offense is built to do. They're built for the, you know, the short kind of run plays and then the short screen plays and setting up a nice and manageable third down uh, for their quarterback. And that really shows, you know, like between the BYU and the Stanford game, just the disconnect of getting their offense out of rhythm and not doing the things that had worked for them in the, the prior two weeks when we really saw them rolling. Like, I really thought that they turned a corner after playing North Carolina and BYU. I did, too. Um, and now there's just there's there's a big drop off uh, in these last two games, especially in the passing attack. You know, the running was better against UNLV, obviously, but it's an inferior opponent. What we really should be concerned about are these pine numbers against a really bad UNLV, UNLV uh, defense. Well, what do you think? Like. Are. How big a red flag is that to you? You know, like, I guess what I'm saying not how big a red flag. Are we seeing the real Drew Pine now? Like these last two games, has has Drew Pine reverted to what he really is? He was a 50% passer in the two games he got to play last year. After the horrendous start against Cal, all of a sudden it's like boom, boom, boom. He's completing all these passes. You know, again, I still think that the fact that you're taking away these short little layups for him to the running back, running backs play a big part of that like you look at what salty is saying it seems to me pine plays best when he's confident making the throws he wants to make worst when he's having to over process things and throw against his will and again they've only tar targeted the running backs five times in the last two games they completed seven passes not just targets but seven to the running backs in that win over north carolina and then you look at again cal and St or uh stanford and unlv five targets combined it's like you've taken away options for him to go to because you know they're they're not even showing those looks a lot. It's really bizarre to me. Yeah, it, it feels you know Drew Pine isn't the best passing quarterback. Like he's not a pocket passing quarterback. Everyone knows that. Tommy Reese knows that. You know you, that that's just common fact. So what do you do to try to negate those things? You give your quarterback a good running attack. You give your quarterback short, easy passes to build off of. And that's what we didn't, you know, that's what we saw a lot of against North Carolina and BYU is a lot of the stuff that 
you know, you and I kind of talked about diagramming on here with your two back stuff of getting, you know, kind of taking advantage of linebackers in space, getting those favorable matchups. And it seems like that's the stuff you want to get into if you, if you have a quarterback who, who isn't, you know, isn't a great passer. So you help him out by giving shorter plays. You give you help him out by, you know, the play action stuff. So the, the, the safeties and linebackers get sucked up a little bit. So for me, I just don't, I really don't understand why the game plan shifted so much uh, between BYU and Stanford when you clearly had a recipe for success um, the last two games. Why, why weren't they building off of those things uh, and making life a little bit easier for Drew Pine rather than asking him to, to kind of do, do more than what I think he's potentially capable of? And that's not an insult to Drew Pine. That's just developing your offense around what you got. And what they got is an average quarterback, an elite running back trio, an elite tight end, and, you know, some some up-and-coming wide receivers. So, to me, I just – you have to do things to help out your quarterback as much as possible, and that that includes short routes to your wide receivers, screens to your running backs, you know, short passes to your running backs out of the backfield, and that's what's going to help them. Um, you know, we didn't even see any of those wheel routes that that worked against North Carolina exactly. uh, and BYU. Just let me, just let me ask you this. Simple plays I, that can build off of each other. I floated this out there last night, and I don't know – you know, again, it's just like something that crossed my mind I don't, I don't know how serious I take it myself, but like you've got this tougher stretch of games coming up, you know, like, do you think that they were trying to show something different these last two games where, you know, they're, they're not just doing that same stuff going into this tougher stretch with Syracuse, Clemson, and, and of course, USC at the end of the season? No, because you, you, to me, you can't get cute. At the end of the day, it's about no, winning. You can't, you can't, but we've seen too much cute already this season beyond just these last couple games, right? Like, it's not beyond the realm of possibility that they would get too cute, is it? Or he would get too cute. No, because, you know, the, the the consistent thing between, you know, BYU, UNC, Stanford, and UNLV is the pass attempts are there. You know, attempts against UNLV, 28. Attempts against Stanford, 27. Attempts against BYU, 28. Uh, attempts against UNC, 34. But that's just, you know, well, largely because of North Carolina's bad secondary. But, you know, the, the same amount of passes are there. It's just what kind of passes are they? Are they, you know, are they just these simple – you know, build confidence, kind of nice routes that are that are tailor made for Drew Pine, or is it you know out, outside of the realm of what Drew Pine can necessarily necessarily handle um, as a quarterback? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The other part of this, now Drew Pine was the quarterback, of course, but what were we saying for two games and when did the offense take off 
when this player was finally involved more in the game plan? Uh, Tyria, North Carolina. Chris Tyree, well, and it started with Cal, though, because remember he had the touchdown catch against Cal. He was he got more involved against Cal, and then, yeah, you're right, against North Carolina, had the bigger game. Well, Chris Tyree, they're not playing to his strengths at all with what they're doing when he is on the field. And, you know, Marcus Freeman talked this week about playing to the strengths of the personnel. Chris Tyree against Stanford, eight carries, 25 yards, one target, no catches, just one target in the passing game, just three total targets for the running backs against Stanford. And then against UNLV, he carries the ball more, 10 for 43 yards. Now, part of that is because Andre Kestame gets benched after carrying three times after he fumbled on his third carry. But two targets, no catches. So even when they're involving Chris Tyree these last two games, because of all the you know the the wonderful 12 personnel and and all that stuff even when they're involving him they're not playing to his strength and really what what would have been a better formula especially against Stanford getting it outside the tackles on the perimeter rather than just pounding between the tackles all the time and i think that that's still the biggest head scratcher for all of us why they insist on you know with all of them just running up the gut on the t- all the time but especially with Chris Tyree Definitely. And that's, that's something again, that we've talked about in, in great length is, you know, utilizing your running backs with their best skills. Um, and Tyree is an edge rusher, you know, compared or sorry, edge, edge runner compared to someone like uh, Estime. Uh, I think that hybrid between the two is obviously uh, Diggs. I think he can get between the tackles, but also has perimeter success as well. But again, it's like, why, even if, even if it's not Tyree, why is it not incorporating the running back somehow? Like it, yes, Tyree, is your best option, I think, for, for you know, passing out of running backs, catching passes out of the backfield. But it wasn't even attempted with some of these other guys. So there's just no there's no effort to get these running backs involved uh, more. And, and I've said it constantly. I think that that's the best thing that this offense has going. Um, and when you can run the way that they do and you can use two-back personnel to fake a run and then flip a pass to your other running back, I just really don't see see why you wouldn't want to do those things. And, and then, you know, the correlation is there. You, you, like you see against North Carolina and BYU, when they do the things, they run more two back, they run, you know, they, they, pass, they make an, an effort to pass more to their running backs uh, to get pine going. There's just overall more o- offensive success. Uh, and, and both units are going in the passing game and the running game, and they're working off of each other, right? The run sets up the pass, the pass sets up the run. Well, that was that wasn't the case against Stanford. You know, the run the run couldn't quite get going to its best potential because the pass also couldn't get going, and vice mm-hmm. versa, the pass couldn't get going because the run couldn't get going. And you know, luckily against UNLV, that they had a bad had a bad opponent because the offensive numbers passing wise weren't great um, against UNLV, and the run the run offense was honestly you know pretty average. Yeah, did they get over you know two hundred yards? Sure. But they, they only averaged four and a half a carry, which is still pretty solid. But you'd like to see those numbers um, a little bit better considering, you know, who the opponent is. Well, the, the other thing in these two games, three two-back sets against Stanford, one two-back set against UNLV. And again, I can, I can, I can understand it maybe a little bit more against UNLV because you figure you should be able to play smash mouth and, and all that stuff, maybe you don't need two backs as much. But against Stanford, again, like 
attacking the perimeter, I think, is where the game could have been won for them. But but it was lost instead trying to run between the tackles and not using the running backs out in space trying to attack Stanford with that. Is there, as you look at this now, like, so do you think the two back stuff, whether it's 21 or the, the you know, the, the periodic 22, do you think that more of that is the way to go against some of these teams going forward? I do because, you know, again, what it, what is the main goal with two back is you're creating matchups um, that are favorable. So even when you're running the ball, yes, you're taking away because what's the difference between, you know, 21 and 12 personnel? Well, you're just swapping out a tight end for a running back. So essentially, okay, that's, you know, a, a, you're assuming that's someone that's going to be better in the run in the run blocking, but you can and still you're also, you're also not tipping your hat that you're probably going to run between the tackles by throwing an extra tackle up on the line, not to cut you off, but just to add to that. Right. And so, you know, the, the argument would be with two backs versus two tight ends is, you know, obvious, you, you, you're, you're thinking that you might not be able to run the ball as well, but you could still use that running back as a decoy, as a blocker for the other running back. You can still right. accomplish Which they did the a lot same, of when they did it. Yeah. You could still accomplish the same looks. You're just replacing the tight end with the running back. Um, and then you're getting you're getting the favorable matchups that come off of that. You're getting linebackers matched up with your running backs, um, and and you're getting teams that have to commit more to the box. So then your wide receivers are left, you know, for some more one on one action. So for me, the two back is ultimately the the best set because of what you can pass and run out of both of them efficiently. You're not taking, you're not losing any, you know, you're not losing anything in the run game. You're not losing anything in the pass game. And to me, you're adding in the pass game because your running backs are some of, you know, proven to be some of your best playmakers in space on this offense. So why not give them the ball in space and let them go to work? And they block well. They they can all block. They wouldn't be on the field if they couldn't block. But like I saw, you know, a clip of Audric Estime blocking downfield the other day. He's got speed and power and, and he blocks well. Logan Diggs can block well. They all pick up the blitz. You know, they do all this different stuff i just like the body type is they need more of that they need more quick twitch you know not long twitch on the field out there they don't need more tight ends they've got the best tight end in the country you can live with one tight end i'd rather see a couple of running backs out there now you know the estimate piece to it has to be solved in terms of is he going to hold on to the ball or not you know and how you're going to address that but at the very least you know there's some there there are a lot of things that you can still do with him. And who knows if that's factored into, you know, some of that, the, the, the decrease in the two backs over the last few games with the fact that he had a couple of fumbles. I don't know. You know, they're having, it's, it's kind of crazy. They're having fumbling problems ever since Kyle, they're averaging a, a fumble lost per game. So that doesn't mm -hmm. even take into account, you know, overall fumbles, that's fumbles lost. So I, you know, that's, that's not good. You can't, you can't give, obviously can't give the other team, um, extra possessions. Those fumbles are, are largely, you know, Pine and Estime uh, contributing to those. But uh, yeah, I just, I, I really wish that we could see more. Like, why not just come out in, in the twenty-one personnel for the first couple of drives and just appease everyone, right? Like, you know that that's the the rumblings. You know, people are getting tired of, you know, the twelve personnel, the thirteen personnel, and yeah, like you said, why why take a more athletic 
you know, player off the field. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about a running back here. Right. And go with a tight end when the whole point of the game, and especially against Stanford and USC, what wins you those games are athletes on athletes. And so what are we doing to get our athletes the best possible matchup in, in space? And to me, that's running backs on linebackers and forcing them, you know, to, to man up. And if that's the case, if you start beating them in man, well, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to switch to more of a zone concept, and that's when you start hammering the ball on the ground more. So right. it, it's just it, it should be a simple solution of, you know, run and pass, kind of playing off of each other and just getting a feel for the moment and knowing, you know, okay, well, I we know based off of this, we're accomplishing this, and now they're kind of doing these things to compensate for it. Okay, so how do we attack that? You know, they're overcompensation. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really, to me, would like to see more of the two-back set. I think we saw, you know, with the numbers against North Carolina and BYU, and a lot of that was in play and the success they had on, you know, both run and pass. But that's got to be the formula uh, going forward. If I'm Notre Dame, I, I throw out all the film except Notre Dame and Stan, or sorry, North Carolina and BYU, and I just consistently watch those games if I'm Tommy Reese and figure out, you know, this this is the formula. It, it, it's to the point in the season where you got to have the formula, right? Like you yeah. got to have, you got to know what works for you and what doesn't, and what's gonna, you know, co- accomplish accomplish these wins. And I know Tommy Reese is smart, and I know he's just as analytical as you know someone like myself. So it it, it shouldn't be an overly hard task for him, right? Like these are the things that I feel like he should already be kind of looking at. No, and I mean, if you're going to go up against two of the tougher teams on the rest of your schedule, Syracuse and Clemson, you want to go with the stuff that's worked for you. And what's worked is all those elements that we talked about. We are not Marshall. Thanks, as always. Can we just get a few likes? You know, (laughs) can you just hit that like button while you're sitting there? You know, you're sitting there, maybe you're eating your crackers or, you know, you're finishing dinner or whatever, drinking a a cold one, whatever it happens to be. Just hit that like button, if you would. We always appreciate it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.